1: When I was in uni in Toronto, I was pulling more all-nighters than I want to admit. And every night, it was the same story. Around 2 a.m., I'd hit a wall. And without fail, I'd wobble over to the electric kettle and heat up some water for instant noodles. I'd rip open the spice packet and then the dried veggies and add it to the piping hot noodles. If I had the energy, I'd even throw in some fresh vegetables and maybe a dash of Caribbean hot sauce. And just like that, I was ready to work through the night. And let's be honest, this is pretty universal for most students. Well, dear listener, I have news for you. Those noodles only exist because their inventor went to jail. Right in the middle of World War II, Momofuku Ando, a textiles businessman in his 30s, was scrambling to keep up with the changing world. He was living in Japan, trying to run a company that sold socks, but socks weren't working out so well. So he tried his hand at selling engine parts to the military. I know, random, right? Well, that didn't turn out great either. The military suspected he was stealing from them and they threw him in prison. Here's a voice actor reading from Ando's autobiography.
2: The officer threw me into a cell crowded with six or seven inmates. It was so crowded that we could not sleep with our bodies stretched out.
1: Ando spent 45 days in jail, maintaining his innocence the whole time. But what upset him the most wasn't the accusation, the incarceration, or the beatings.
2: What troubled me most about my stay in prison was the food. Day in and day out, the meals consisted of pickled vegetables and rice boiled with barley.
1: Ando couldn't stomach the food, so he fasted. He remembers feeling physically sick from hunger and how his cellmates would fight over his untouched meals. But once it was all said and done, Ando could look back on his time in jail and see a lesson that would even become his motto. Peace follows from a full stomach.
2: Perhaps I have to go back to this far to trace the origins of the development of instant noodles, though I did not have the slightest idea for chicken ramen at that time.
1: Ando's time behind bars during World War II had planted a seed for a billion dollar idea. But how did this textiles businessman go from trying to stay afloat during war times to inventing chicken ramen and cup noodles, a food that has changed the way we eat all over the world. From something else and Sony Music Entertainment, this is They Did That, a different kind of history show. I'm Takara Small. Today, the story of Momofuku Ando and Instant Noodles.
0: I was blessed, you could say, with very picky children. (laughs) And there was a time when the only thing they would eat was instant noodles. This is Andrea Wang. She's a children's book author. Her kids are grown now,
1: college students probably still eating instant noodles. But back when they were little, these
0: noodles were kind of saving Andrea's life. It's sort of like... I don't know, the Asian equivalent of mac and cheese, right, (laughs) is instant noodles. It was just really easy for a very busy mom with a tight schedule to just, you know, three minutes (laughs) and you're done. Throw a few vegetables in there, sneak it past them, throw an egg in there, you know.
1: Andrea started to wonder where this magic food came from. And then her husband happened to bring home a copy of David Chang's cookbook called Momofuku. Apparently, David Chang had spent some time in Japan and named his book and restaurants Momofuku as an indirect nod to Momofuku Ando. And so, Andrea started looking into Ando because she was seriously considering writing a children's book about him. Pretty quickly, she found out that he had actually written an autobiography, but it was in Japanese, and Andrea could not, for the life of her, find a copy of the English version. At least not one that she could afford. So finally she wrote to Ando's company, Nissen. And a few emails, and a little while later... I received a copy of it in the mail. (laughs) Turns out he'd been asked to write about his career in a Japanese newspaper column called My Resume. And his company, Nissen, had put together a little book of it for their employees. The book was called The Story of the Invention of Instant Ramen.
0: It was great. And there were pictures in it. It really just, Ando has such a voice and he's such a storyteller. I would have loved to have interviewed him in person had he been alive because he, I am sure he's just fascinating to talk to. So what is the story behind Instant
1: Noodles? And what does it have to do with World War II and Ando's time in jail? To understand that, you have to know just a little bit about where Ando was coming from. Ando was born in 1910 in Taiwan, and he had lost his parents not too long after he was born. So Ando and his three siblings were actually raised by their grandparents, who were textile merchants. And their house was alive with an infectious
0: energy. He just describes it as being bustling. I have this house full of relatives coming and going and, and merchants coming and going and it just being very busy all the time. Ondo was exposed to
1: business super early on and it really sparked something in him. As he grew up, Ondo decided he wanted to start his own company, just like his grandparents. He was really in love with the idea of it, but there was also this other thing that kept pushing Ando forward. He called it self-reliance. It was this total need to depend on himself and only himself, to create stability in an unstable time. See, when Ando was growing up, Taiwan was under Japanese colonial rule, and the early 1900s was a tumultuous time in the region. Lots of wars and lots of political conflict, not to mention the beginning of World War I.
0: All that to say, this was not a peaceful time. I think when it's just a, when you're growing up in wartime, survival is at the top of your mind. This was a time to take control of your own life,
1: your own survival. Growing up in this time when nothing was a guarantee, it makes sense why Ondo became fixated on self-reliance. He had learned to make his own way in a fast-changing world. And one way he knew to do that was to be his own boss. And if he was successful, maybe he'd be able to make it into Japan, where the opportunities for making money were even bigger. But there was just one thing that could get in his way. Ethnic discrimination. Because if you're an outsider, it can be really hard to be embraced in Japan. Especially if, like Ando, you're coming from a Japanese colony.
0: Yeah, they have uh, separate words for people who were not born in Japan and people who are immigrants and people who, despite being of Japanese ethnicity, did not grow up in Japan. Ando had actually been given the Taiwanese name No Pek Hok at birth. And as far
1: as we know, he's never spoken about whether he was ethnically Chinese or ethnically Japanese. Which makes sense. Because during the occupation, Japan was doing everything it could to colonize Taiwan culturally. They were cracking down on Taiwanese cultural institutions, pressuring locals to take Japanese names, clothing, customs, and language. We don't know what Ando thought about all of this, but we do know that it wasn't until later in his life that Ando, quote-unquote, became Japanese. As an adult, he changed his first name to the Japanese Momofuku, took his Japanese wife's last
0: name of Ando, and also became a Japanese citizen. But I do think that not... Like, if he really was of Chinese ethnicity, it was smart of him not to talk about that. It's hard to know whether
1: Ando worried about discrimination when he first moved to Japan. But luckily, he at least had the resources to get started on his business. It turns out his dad had left a decent amount of money behind after his death, So when Ando finished school, he soon claimed his inheritance and started his own textiles company in Taiwan. His company did so well that in 1933, at 23 years old, Ando did end up partnering with a Japanese company. And he was so successful that he decided to leave his home country of Taiwan and move his business to Japan. Japan was a whole different ball game,
0: but Ando was doing the thing. He was making business moves. I do think that because of his grandfather's wealth and contacts already in the textile industry, it smoothed the way. By
1: all accounts, it seems like Ando was on his way to huge success in his 20s. But while he was dreaming up new business ideas, there was something bigger brewing in Japan. The country was preparing to go to war.
2: One, two, three, four. We have witnessed this morning a severe bombing of Harbor by enemy claims, undoubtedly it is, no, no, it is a real war.
1: Next up, World War II turns Japan and Ondo's life upside down. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it?
2: We were entering some disquieting times. The imperial edict on the declaration of war was issued on December 8th, 1941.
1: Just the day before, Japan had attacked Pearl Harbor, and on December 8th, they officially declared war. Momofuku Ando had been on a textile business trip. And when he came back to Japan, nothing was the same. It was like his entire life's work had become impossible and irrelevant overnight.
2: I returned to Japan, filled with dread and anxiety over this grave turn of events. However, though I had found it difficult to continue my textile business on the onset of the war, my entrepreneurial drive did not diminish or wither away. It was not in my nature to sit still, even for a moment.
1: Ando had to pivot, and he had to pivot fast. The war had changed day-to-day life in Japan, and if he was going to hang in there long enough to see the war end, Ando needed to make money. So he tried a bunch of different business ideas, like building temporary homes for the victims of war. He also tried producing coal to help solve the country's fuel shortage. And remember that manufacturing company that landed him in jail? He was only in that business because of the war. While the manufacturing business didn't pan out the way he hoped, his time in jail did spark the
0: thing that would become his legacy. It was while he was in prison that he he couldn't stomach the food. You know, he's this well-off guy who's used to eating well, and suddenly he's in prison. And so he gave all his food to his uh, fellow prisoners. And, and basically, it sounds like he went on kind of a mini hunger strike. And I think that formed a lot of his ideas later on about food and how essential it was to having a peaceful world.
1: Ando remembers how intensely his cellmates used to fight over his food. Hunger changed them. It reminded Ondo of how animals act when it's been too long since their last meal. Ando was out of jail after 45 days,
0: but once he was out, he saw this everywhere. There was this huge food crisis. There were just really bad harvests, and Japan as a country was just suffering a lot. Japan is an island country without a
1: whole lot of natural resources. It has often struggled with growing enough food for its population. Around World War II, though, there was a different level of food shortage. While Japan was busy fighting alongside Axis powers on the wrong side of history, things were getting especially bad for ordinary Japanese people.
2: Those who were fortunate were able to eat flour dumplings boiled in soup and rice porridge mixed with vegetables. There was so little food in those days, we even ate the runners of potato plants to stave off hunger.
1: It was a horrific moment in Japan's history. Besides years of food shortages, there were air raids and bombs falling all the time, destroying entire cities. After getting out of jail, Ando was able to evacuate to a smaller town called Kamigori. In those war years, Ando married a woman named Masako Ando and they hunkered down in Kamigori together, praying for the war to end. After four years of uncertainty, Ando remembers the moment it was finally over. For him, it was eerily similar to the moment when it all began. <laughs>
2: On August 15, 1945, I heard the Emperor's broadcast while lying on a new tatami floor.
1: The aftermath was devastating.
2: The day after the war ended, I took the train from Kamigori to Osaka with my wife Masako. Burnt corpses were still lying by the roadside. As a result of the intensive air raid in Osaka on March thirteenth. My office, which was the center of my business, and the aircraft parts factory were reduced to ashes.
1: Whatever hopes Ando might have had that his business would be intact were dashed. There was no way of salvaging what remained of his work. A year later, in 1946, Ando decided it was time to rebuild what he had lost. He and his wife moved back to Osaka, and this time, Ando noticed something that brought all the observations he'd made about food come rushing back.
2: More than a year had passed since the end of the war, but even then the streets were filled with starving people who wore a vacant look on their faces. Because of the severe scarcity of food, a black market sprouted on the burnt out east side of the Osaka Railroad Bureau.
1: Even though the Japanese government was supposed to provide food, and wasn't doing a great job. Their rationing and distribution systems had broken down. So black market vendors came in to fill in the food gap.
2: One evening in winter, I happened to pass this area and saw a line 20 to 30 meters long in front of a dimly lit stall from which clouds of steam were steadily rising. People dressed in shabby clothes shivered in the cold while waiting for their turn. The person who was with me at the time said they were lined up for a bowl of ramen.
1: Ando saw something coming. Big demand for food, not just ramen, but anything ready-made and nutritious. Something the people of Japan could survive on while they recovered from the war's destruction.
2: It is said that clothing, food, and shelter are basic human necessities. To that, I would add this observation, without food, there would be no clothing and shelter, or for that matter, art and culture. What needed to be done first for post-war rehabilitation became clear to me.
1: At 36 years old, Ando decided to abandon all of his other business ideas and concentrate on food. There was just one problem. Ando didn't know anything about food. Coming up, Ando goes broke. And is forced to put on his chef's hat to mixed results. It was 1946. World War II had just ended, and Japan was in rough shape. There was a massive food shortage, and people were dying from malnutrition. Momofuku Ando was back in Osaka, Japan, he was dead set on helping Japanese reconstruction with his next business venture. Before he ever got to instant noodles, Ando tried things like catching, drying, and selling fish, and making salt from seawater, because he was convinced that food was going to be the
0: key to helping Japan. They needed so much help, and the Western, the Allied countries, I think as part of the agreement at the end of World War II, did supply... Japan with food.
1: After the war, one of the things Japan was getting in bulk was wheat from the U.S. So they were trying to encourage folks to make and eat bread. But bread's not really a traditional Japanese food. Japan is known more for its rice and seafood. Ando could see there was a huge disconnect here, so he decided to bring it up
0: with a friend, a manager at the Ministry of Health and Welfare. He was talking to a friend about the wheat shipments and suggesting to this friend who was in the government, you should do something with this wheat that, you know, more Japanese people eat, like noodles. And the friend's like, I don't think we're going to do that. Why don't you go do that? And so he was like, okay.
1: Onda was on to something big. Scenes of hungry people lined up for ramen and his cellmates fighting over his food swirled in his mind he was slowly coming up with his million-dollar business idea. But in the meantime, his other businesses started
0: to fall apart one by one. He was left penniless, is what he says in his autobiography. And that's when he's like, okay, I'm going to dedicate myself to this. And so he set about learning how to make noodles. For the first time in his life,
1: Ondo was completely broke. With no other business prospects, he had to make his noodle idea work. So in 1957, a full 10 years after the idea first occurred to him, Ando made his mission to invent instant noodles.
2: I did everything alone. I had no employees and no money. I asked a carpenter whom I had known in the past to build a 10-square-meter hut in my backyard. I intended to use it for my experiments. I went around some tool shops in Osaka and bought a secondhand noodle making machine. I also purchased a Chinese wok measuring about one meter in diameter, 18 kilograms of flour, cooking oil, etc., and loaded all of these on my bicycle.
1: Ando took his materials to the shed in his backyard, just steps away from where his wife Masako and their two kids were going about their daily lives in the main house, and Ando got to work.
2: I started my research by literally groping in the dark under a single naked 40 watt bulb hanging from the ceiling. I scribbled down any ideas that came to my mind and posted these notes on the wall. I got up at 5 in the morning and immediately went to the hut and stayed there until 1 or 2 am the following morning, completely immersed in thought. On average, I got only 4 hours of sleep. This went on for a whole year without a break.
1: Ando didn't want to just make any noodles. He wanted something that made sense for the hungry people he
0: saw in the streets. He wanted something that was super convenient so that it could be ready very quickly. And because of the devastation after World War II, you know, many people only had access to perhaps hot water, you know. There weren't a lot of ingredients. There wasn't a lot of time to buy a chicken and boil it for hours and make noodles on your own. And buying ready-made ramen at the black market was very expensive. Ondo
1: had just three things on his checklist that were an absolute must for these instant noodles. They had to be nutritious, convenient, and shelf-stable. So he spent hours and days in his lab making a mess in some terrible
0: batches of noodles. First item on his checklist, make the noodles nutritious. He was trying these things like chopping up spinach and putting them into the noodles, which didn't work. (laughs) Fresh veggies weren't the answer.
1: So when his idea to incorporate fresh vegetables for nutrients didn't work, Ando thought, okay, let me use real chickens to make chicken soup. I can cook the noodles in the chicken soup instead of water, and then they should retain the soup's nutrients. And that actually worked. Nutritious noodles, check.
0: Next up, Ando had to figure out how to make this thing convenient. Trying to get them to cook faster was just, it seemed like this insurmountable problem.
1: No matter what he did, Ando couldn't figure out how to make the noodles cook and then dry. Every batch he made was either too soggy or too hard. And then, one day... About a year after he first went into his shed to start experiments, Ando figured out how to kill
0: two birds with one stone. He finally seized upon the idea to flash fry the noodles because his wife was cooking, was making tempura for dinner one night, and she was frying the vegetables in the batter. And he saw that the batter was sort of very similar to noodles, right? It's flour and water. And so he fried the noodles first, and then added boiling hot water. And lo and behold, they cooked very quickly.
1: Flash frying the noodles was the last step in Ando's experimentation process. It made the noodles both shelf-stable and convenient. Since the noodles had already been cooked, you could make them in just a
0: few minutes by adding hot water. So what the frying does is that it evaporates the moisture, the water that is in the fresh noodles. So it leaves behind these, all these tiny, tiny pores where the water was. And once you immerse the fried noodle into hot water, the hot water goes back into all those tiny pores and softens the noodle itself.
1: After a year of experimentation, the noodles were ready. And Ando didn't waste any time getting to production. Well,
0: a small production. The whole family helps, you know, his mother-in-law and his wife are helping with making the chicken soup, and his children are helping with packaging. I think the the little daughter, Akemi, was sealing the plastic packages that they'd put the noodles in. It was a, a family affair for a while. Just a few months after Ando finished making instant noodles, the
1: family was ready to present them for others to eat. They made a few hundred packages of instant noodles, headed down to a grocery store, and set up a sampling table. Imagine a QVC presentation, except it's in a Japanese grocery store in 1958.
2: I took off my work clothes, soiled with flour and oil, and put on a suit for the first time in two years.
1: Ando was probably gesturing at his steaming soups like Vanna White as the crowd anxiously watched.
2: Customers would not believe me when I announced, just pour hot water on the ramen and wait two minutes. So I demonstrated how to do it. I poured hot water on some instant ramen in a bowl and covered it. After two minutes, I sprinkled finely chopped leeks and much to the amazement of the customers, it was ready to eat
1: the audience waits with bated breath before bursting into applause. Okay, maybe not applause, but it was a big hit.
2: It's real ramen, they exclaimed in astonishment. Soon, housewives were buying the product. In no time at all, we sold all 500 packs we had brought with us to the store.
1: Soon, it was clear there was more demand for the noodles than Ando's family could meet. So Ando rebranded an existing company he had to Nissin Food Products and started manufacturing the original chicken ramen in bulk. He originally priced the noodles kind of high, presumably to recover his costs. So the noodles actually weren't a big hit right away. But it became clear that if Ando could make these noodles affordable, this would be a million or billion dollar idea because instant noodles were coming onto the market at the start of a new global
0: era. We were coming into a time where everything was about convenience. And the convenience of it, I think, is what really sold it. You know, you had people who were working long hours and they just wanted to go home. And at home, you could just boil some water, throw it in with the noodles, and you're done. And I think women started working more outside of the home as well. And so they wanted something fast and easy to give their kids like I did. When the noodles did take off, they took off
1: big. The demand was so great that Nissan had trouble manufacturing enough. In just the first five years of production, chicken ramen sales reached 4.3 billion yen, which today would be something like 180 million U.S. dollars. But neither Ando, nor his marketing team,
0: realized how much bigger it would get. It's a funny story behind the invention of cup noodles. He was on a business trip to California to promote instant noodles, top ramen. It was 1966.
1: Ando was in his 50s, and he was headed to an observational tour in California. He wanted to see if it was possible to spread instant noodles to other parts of the world. So we went to a grocery store to talk directly with the customers.
2: This happened at Holiday Magic Supermarket in Los Angeles. I offered chicken ramen to some customers, but they shook their heads looking rather bewildered. I found out this was because they had nothing to put the noodles in. Eventually, someone brought some paper cups, broke the chicken ramen into two, placed the two halves in separate cups, and poured hot water on them. The customers then ate the noodles with a fork. Afterwards, they threw away the paper cups into a waste basket. At that moment, I understood what it meant to be awakened to the truth. I realized the obvious fact that Westerners do not use chopsticks and bowls to eat with.
0: And he describes this moment as kind of like an aha moment again, right? And he's like, we could make this even more convenient if we gave them the cup. In 1971,
1: Cup Noodle was released on the market. Just like chicken ramen, it had a couple of hiccups, but once it was available to the average person, it became wildly successful. These two noodle products made Ando an absolute legend in Japan. Seriously, there are not one, but two noodle museums created in honor of Momofuku Ando, with recreations of his backyard hut and everything. Instant noodles are everywhere today. You can go to pretty much any store, and it won't even be in their ethnic section. It's just right there in the pasta aisle. Ando's instant noodles arguably crossed all national
0: and cultural borders. And now I'm thinking of all the times that my kids' non-Asian friends came over, you know, for play dates, and we gave them instant noodles of some sort. And they were exposed to it there and maybe went back and... <laughs> persuaded their parents to go buy instant noodles. There are instant noodles in almost any flavor you can imagine, literally all over the world. I've heard of goat flavored instant noodles and the really spicy ones in Korea and the different things that people add to them. Like he just started off saying you can add an egg into the hot water and it'll poach while the noodles cook. But I've heard of people adding, like, slices of American cheese or, you know, lime and all these other different flavors. Okay,
1: sliced American cheese in ramen sounds like a heinous crime. But it just goes
0: to show this invention has gone way beyond what Ando imagined. There's so much merchandise around instant ramen now, it's hilarious. I get dog toys shaped like bowls of ramen. It's just, it's a pop culture thing now. Ando's instant noodles have left
1: a huge footprint. I would be surprised if anyone anywhere in the world said they'd never seen them. And to think, this all started as just one man trying to feed his family and his country. It's mind-boggling.
0: I just thought it was really interesting that it was one person who had this idea to create something that would help his people— he was a guy working out of a shed in his backyard who didn't initially even know anything about how to make food. Then it's become this food that has changed the way we eat. Ando didn't just change
1: dinner routines in dorm room culture. He intentionally made a food that you could rely on whether you're pulling an all-nighter, preparing to quarantine during a pandemic, or trying to survive a war or natural disaster. And Ando made sure his company never forgot where their noodles came from and their power to help people in need.
0: They give away a lot of instant noodles to survivors of natural disasters. They ship them all over the world. I think Hurricane Maria, they shipped them to the United States. For Andrea, this is what Ando's story comes
1: down to. Yes, he was an entrepreneur trying to create a financially successful business, but the business he put the most effort into was the one that would help people. Andrea did end up writing a children's book about Ando's life. It's called Magic Ramen. She said she wanted kids to have another historical Asian hero
0: they could relate to. Someone who was altruistic and persistent and inventive, and wouldn't let anything get in his way of this goal. I think kids really need that message, that stick-to-it-iveness, if you will, (laughs) instead of just saying, oh, this is really hard and I'm going to give up.
1: Stick-to-it-iveness, or maybe Ando would call it self-reliance. Ando started out a kid in Taiwan, wanting to start his own business, be his own boss and create some stability in his own life. And there were so many wars that kept throwing him down. But that self-reliance, the persistence, got him and us instant noodles. Do you know of someone who did something fabulous, but might not have gotten their flowers? Let us know. Our email is theydidthat at sonymusic.com. Next time on, They Did That. She was up there rocking in ways in which people said Christians should not. People were able to intuit sexuality, freedom, all of these things, but she was true to what she felt and true to her God-given talents. I think that's what separated her from, from the batch. They did that as presented by me, Takara Small. Voiceover by Matthew Chow. This episode was written and produced by Ava Ahmedbegi. Our associate producer is Serena Chow. This episode was edited by Jasmine Romero. Executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. Engineering and sound design by Rick Kwan. Our production coordinator is Lily Hambly. And our original theme song is by Cedric Wilson.